you are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's everybody doing? Episode 118 of Locked On Browns. I'm your host, Jeff Floyd. I uh, just want to thank everybody today. Uh, you know, one of the big hashtags today, obviously every day now in the world is a day that consists of something. Today, uh, World Prematurity Day, it's a cause that's near and dear to my heart. Um, as a bunch of you guys got to know today, uh, my youngest daughter, Hope, was born at 22 weeks, one pound, six ounces. She went through so much in 111 days in the hospital to start her life. Um, you know, things like collapsed lungs, uh, had to get her foot scraped every day to get blood, to get blood samples and get blood tests. Um, even suffered a leg fracture in her, you know, tiny. So, you know, I appreciate everybody. Uh, it was a million likes, a million retweets. Uh, it was really exciting for her to see that, you know, everybody, you know, all the well wishes and, you know, the love that everybody gave towards that, uh, you know, day near and dear to my heart. But one thing I do want to say, guys, is so many kids like my daughter do not make it. I saw so many families, you know, get the wrong side of it. So definitely it's a cause. Uh, it'll always be one that's near and dear to my heart. But I just wanted to thank everybody for all the love today. You know, definitely spruced up the Lloyd family. Uh, we're going to roll on tonight. Uh, you know, like I told you guys, you know, one, sh- one show a week, I want to bring in, you know, you know, one of these guys who know this, you know, know this team well, have been fans for a long time. Steven Thomas, you know, from Brown's mock draft, you know, Ryan Byrne, f- football sickness. Uh, now fun one here tonight. Uh, now Pete Smith, who, uh, writes, uh, Cleveland Browns over at NFL spin zone. Pete coaches high school football in Ohio. Pretty much knows everything from there. Some draft breakdown work you can find, you know, obviously on some draft stuff there. Uh, we don't always agree. I think we, I think we have a lot of ideas that are the same. But as far as you know, the pieces and stuff like that, so it should be fun here with Pete tonight. Pete, buddy, how you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be in the uh, the temple that uh, Rabbi Mueller built. Ha <laughs> ha! Ah, that's great. Um, you know, uh, 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 how'd your high school season go? And, you know, what, what do you enjoy about it? I mean, I used to do it. I used to coach high school football. It was fun, but there just came a time where it was, you know, what I had to do versus what I want to do kind of took over. Um, you know, it was a challenge cause it's the first year to, at a, pro- this program with the staff, uh, in Streetsboro and Portage County for anyone who's familiar with the area, uh, you know, establishing sort of what we want to be there. They just built a new stadium. They sort of finished the facility on the fly, so there are a lot of challenges with it. But uh, we finished four and six, uh, which you know we could have been six and four. We could have been two and eight. So it's one of those type of deals. Excited about what's going to happen, uh, where this thing can go. But it's you know it's one of those things uh, where you just sort of you try to just enjoy the hell out of it, uh, enjoy the kids, uh, and and. Invest as much as possible because you never know when you're going to run into a kid who needs more than just a coach out of that situation. And I've run into that a few times, and that's always more rewarding than, than you can ever realize. Uh, I hear you. You know, I, uh, I do coach my oldest daughter's soccer team, championship game tomorrow. And it's fun because, you know, as they're almost 11 years old now, they actually all still kind of want to talk to me. I understand that's probably coming to an end real soon at the age they're at. But, uh, you know, it's fun. and, you know, just being around the kids and it, it, I, it's still and you know, I, I love the fact that they play sports. I don't push them to do it, but it's great to, you know, it's just so much fun being involved with the kids. And, you know, for guys like us, everybody always played, 
and it, it's nice to be on the other end of it. And then you start to appreciate some of the coaches that you had, you know, and you're like, oh man, that guy was really a ball buster. Now that you're on the other, you know, the other end looking in, you're like, you know what, man, I'm happy I had that dude around. There's no question that, uh, you know, high school, you know, I've had people, I've had kids come back and, you know, say that, you know, tell me essentially, you know, I, I wish I would have listened or, you know, you were right at the time type thing. And that's always, that's always rewarding. But it, you know, it's one of those where you wish you're always going to wish that, you know, you would have, you would have done things better or reached kids faster, all that type of stuff. But it's an evolving process uh, with all the new challenges. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I remember one thing and uh, I coached high school football for four years and talking with these guys and it was always the, you know, these guys were so in love with their girlfriends, this, that, and the other thing. Well, bro, you're graduating high school now. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I miss her. I love her. And I used to tell every single one of them, bro, by Thanksgiving of next fall, come talk to me. Let me know where the relationship's at. Let me know where the, you know what's going on after, you know, everybody goes their own separate ways and things go on. And everyone used to come back, oh, my God, coach, you were so right. This, that, and the other thing. You know, and it's tough. It's a tough transition between, you know, that stage of life when you're going, you know, basically from, you know, high school where you still get to be a kid and college where you got to grow up. But we got business to discuss here, Pete, tonight. The Cleveland Browns. Um, now, me jumping into this, I got to be honest, you know, if you – if I watch these nine games, you know, and you cut it off at some point, and you didn't show me the record. I think this product is better than an old 0-9 product. What do you think? Um, I think I agree. I think they, they, they've had opportunities to win at least two uh, and sort of Jeff by game. coaching. Blund- co- co- Jet game would be a good example. Coaching blunders, you know, bad mistakes at bad times, you know, at, being a young team, I, I think that's certainly an element of it where, you know, guys, you know, you get that in cliche, guys don't know how to win yet and, and certainly struggles on offense and some bad bets they made have, have sort of hurt them. Obviously, you know, Kenny, Kenny Britt was pretty good this past week, but that's been sort of, a you know, but that's been a bit of a circus. And then Isaiah Crowell was a bad bet in that, you know, they thought he was going to be able to sort of see the contract year put up a big season. They were ultimately going to move on from him regardless uh, when they didn't get the contract done in the off season. And then just a combination of things. I think, I think he thinks too much about it. I think it's in his head and, and I think he's regressed quite a bit and I don't think they, they cater to him as his strengths as much as they should. And the whole thing's obviously fallen all back on a rookie quarterback who was never prepared to play in the first place. Yeah. 21 years old. I agree there. And, and I think where Crowell maybe sank his battleship, I guess it was either week two or week three, you know, oh, yeah, I can't lie to you. I'm really concerned about my contract. You don't say that when you're averaging 2.8 yards per carry. Well, I, th- I think he I think he admitted, you know, I don't even know if it's so much a greed thing so much as it's he's telling you that this is, you know, that this is weighing on this is a problem. And, and you know, I sympathize with him to the extent, extent of you're a running back. You never know when it's going to be your last carry. And this will be – he'll make, I think, $2.5 million this year on this uh, on the tender he's got. And, you know, if his last carry is tomorrow, he's, you know, going to be having to get a job and all this. And I think William Green was the best example of a guy who was literally every carry was for, you know, his entire family. And it caught up with him. 
and basically dragged him down and ruined his life, that I think there's an element to that with Crowell where he's very putting a lot of pressure on himself to try to score, run 80 yards on every play, even when he only needs five. No, I mean, I can understand that. And, and, you know, I do understand and respect, you know, that concern for him. But in the same respect, though, you know, Isaiah Crowell got himself kind of in this position through his college career. I mean, if he had finished up at Georgia, maybe things would have, you know, resulted in a, you know, a solid draft position where this wouldn't be that much of a concern. And, you know, you know, these guys, you know, I mean, 85% of them, these guys are playing the game for the money. So, you know, I understand that. Uh, now, a little bit more here on the offense. Uh, well, you know, let's go defense first. At least let's, you know, let's light the lamp with a positive one to start. Um, love the D-line. Uh, I think for the most part, I really like the secondary. Uh, Greg Williams is in love with the idea of having a guy he does not have in a deep free safety. But go ahead and elaborate a little bit on the defense and your thoughts there, Pete. Um, the difference between 2016 and 2017 is I enjoy watching this team, and it's because of that defense. It's it's genuinely fun to watch Sunday and watch these guys grow up and sort of evolve and, and get better as a group. The D-line is just fun. I mean, it is. They, they, they are really, really talented, really productive, and they have no idea what they're doing yet, and they're only going to get better. Um, I, you know, there's no question that they need a free safety. Um, even after they got Jabril Peppers, you know, he want, Greg Williams was hoping they'd also get Obi Melifonwu. Uh, Hugh Jackson obviously came out, admitted that, you know, they're playing him out of position. And I, and honestly, I don't think – I think that ultimately may benefit him slightly in the fact that he's now trying to cover up so much space and that they're going to move him to a spot whenever that happens where he's suddenly very uh, focused. I think that may actually help him be – more confident and aggressive. Uh, overall, I think the corners have done a really, really nice job, but you know, not having the safety that you can rely on to do your job back there just hurts everything else. I'm hoping that Deron Smith comes in and they're going to get him comfortable and he can sort of operate back there. I really liked him at Fresno State. That's one we actually agree on. I thought, I thought the Bengals made a really good pick, but he just got buried on a really good depth chart in Cincinnati. And when he got in there, he's pretty pro- promising. Um, so I think this is a huge opportunity for them to find a nice little player. Now, I still think, you know, this is something that's going to get really addressed in April, whether it's a Minka Fitzpatrick, that's the, you know, that's the dream scenario, or or somebody like the kid from te- uh, Texas A&M. Uh, Armani, Watts. Armani Watts, I think, is Greg Williams' like the absolute prototype of what he'd like to get back there. But I think that's sort of the big remaining hurdle for this defense. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, you factor in that, and then you factor in, you know, the consistency of having Garrett on the field. Because, I mean, just the explosion, the quickness he can get to the quarterback, which is only going to make everybody else's life so much easier. You know, take Ogba. Ogba, if Emmanuel, if Miles Garrett plays, you know, you know, 16 games, even if you want to say 14, 15, Emmanuel Ogba should garner 10 sacks just because, you know, I mean, he's just there to pick up the pieces. So it should be that easy for him. One thing I'd actually like to see, and, you know, with maybe hopefully Smith playing some deep free safety, maybe have Jabril do some of the things that, you know, Jamie Collins was kind of brought here to do. Obviously, you don't have Jamie for the rest of the season, you know, Maybe a little some nickel linebacker look, some dime linebacker look. This is stuff he looked better at at Michigan. You know, he went from outside, he went to deep, then he went to eight yards off the line of scrimmage. 
You know, I was not a big Jabril Peppers guy, and I took a lot of heat for it. But look, the guy is not playing a position he's capable of playing, and playing, and it's got to be tough as heck when you are a rookie who left school early, and you know you're asked to do something that you know basically everybody already knew you weren't capable of doing. Um, I wouldn't have picked Jabril Peppers. I, I mean, agree. I, made I, agree. I, I, I made that painfully clear. I really liked. Chidabe Awuzie, and I really like Marcus Williams, and Marcus Williams is playing really, really well in, in New Orleans. They had uh, such a good draft. But I, I agree. What, what I, what I think the the clarification is, and you're not wrong. He would be, he would be a linebacker. Is I think too many people think, you know, he's going to be a traditional linebacker, and I think what it would ultimately be is is a big nickel uh, type look, and it's just Kirksey and Joe Schobert are really your true linebackers. Drew Peppers is sort of hanging outside to one side, and Derek Kindred's hanging outside the other way. And those basically are your overhang players. And in that scenario, I really would like to see that uh, because you know at, at Michigan he was always a, an outside outside leverage zone player that made him look really bad in coverage because he had to take away the the field uh, because Michigan Michigan just get butchered there, which is the reason he moved there in the first place. Um, I think that gives him a lot of opportunities. I think that makes it so he has to see less, which I think would benefit him. But I also believe, and I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, I do think he can play with some man coverage skills because he's really, really athletic, and it's a matter of just doing it. And as much as uh, we talk about all the things he didn't do in coverage, uh, you know, you don't have to be a genius to play man coverage. In fact, in a lot of ways, it helps you to be dumber in that respect, just because all you got to do is see guy get guy, um, and I think that may help him if he matches up with tight ends or running backs or all those other things. But just letting him cause problems around the line of scrimmage, I'd like to see that happen a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if Greg Williams is willing to do that. I know he really likes James Burgess, um, who is not a bad football player by any stretch, but he's not, you know. He's not what you, you you know the end product is supposed to look like, and the fact that you have obviously used a first round pick on Peppers, you'd like to see him, but I would really like to see Peppers and Kindred and a free safety on the field and see if we can't just play a lot of fast, aggressive football with that. No, and that's where I agree too, and exactly with the tight ends and the running backs. You know, most of those coverages, the guys are going to be in front of him. Almost even use them, you know, it, it, like almost you know like a spy. You know, all right, the back's still in the backfield then let him come north 100 miles an hour. Because the one thing we do know is he can get north, and he can get north quick, and he can create a little havoc, even though he's a little bit undersized. Uh, we're going to switch on over now. And, look, I'm a big Deshaun Kaiser guy. I will fully admit it's been a struggle this year. Um, it's nice to see as the weeks go on, the turnovers are starting to gradually come down. And I will agree with everyone. I've said it. You've said it. Ryan Burns said it. The, the gaff on Sunday right before half, it's a freshman football at best mistake. Now, but give me some thoughts on Dashaun. I mean, is there anything you like? And obviously, there's going to be. we're going to add more to this as we talk a little bit more. But go ahead and let me know where you're at right now with what you're saying. Um, I think the biggest thing with Dashaun, and one of the reasons I, I didn't want him, um, is it's not his fault that he was put in a position he wasn't ready for. It's not his fault that the coach didn't put a game plan around him until basically week seven. And it's not his fault that, that basically the, the head coach decided, even though you had all these warning signs, that he basically decided ego, hubris, whatever, 
I can fix it. And he couldn't. That's none of that is on Deshaun Kaiser. Um, and what I've seen that's positive about it is occasionally he does some really good things in the pocket. Occasionally uh, he's made some really, really impressive throws. And in Detroit, that game was, you know, even with the with the gaff at the half, I think he was the best. That is the best game I've seen of Deshaun Kaiser in three years of watching him, uh, including his entire career in terms of being a quarterback. Um uh, you know, some of the plays he made where he'd roll out, he kept his eyes downfield, sort of let the receiver open up and throw it to him, even though, you know, the one I'm talking about in particular came back on a holding penalty. Yep. That was just really, really good quarterback play. And the thing that was, uh, you know, the front office said it when they drafted him, we don't want to rush this kid. We're not in a hurry. They, they gave him, you know, they basically told everyone you don't need to go fast. And then sort of through minicamp, through training camp, the quarterback coach, David Lee, kept harping on this. He's making a lot of progress. We like where he's going, but he's got a long way to go. And that was a consistent theme. Uh, and, and you know, this idea that he was going to take a year. And, and honestly, I believe the Browns had always looked at him as a two- to three-year guy. And then, you know, he was just thrown in there. Um the problem for for Deshaun Kaiser, if let's say Deshaun Kaiser sat uh, up up until the bye week and came out to that game, we have a completely different conversation. And I think part of the problem is Hugh Jackson poisoned Cleveland on Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, now I don't think had uh, Kaiser not played all those games, he would have come out and played that well against Detroit. I think there's a certain element that he had to sort of play to get to that point. But if he just protected the football like he did, does in the uh, in the game against the Vikings, uh, which he didn't do anything spectacularly, but if that, that was, let's say that was game one as opposed to game seven, I think it's easier to sort of have a positive outlook on this where I think because he struggled so much in the first eight weeks and maybe he'll, you know, I'm not. I'm not counting on it. I think he's going to run into a buzzsaw this week. This is a terrible uh, but, matchup. But if if you're saying that Deshaun's going to play really well the the rest of the season, I, I still think those first eight games poisoned this fan base and and to in some cases the locker room, where it makes it very very difficult for you to then tell all these people. Even if you disregard the record, that we're going to come out, Deshaun Kaiser's going to be our quarterback. I think because of the way they've handled this, they've sort of forced themselves to now take a quarterback uh, very early. I think they have to take their swing. Uh, whereas if they waited, you know, this kid looks so much better. He's so much. There's there's so much less baggage that comes with talking about him. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying. For, for what you're saying is, is right now what we've seen, because we've seen so much, we've seen bad. So, and look, either way, you're going to hedge your bets here. You've got 80 million plus in cap space. You've got 12 draft choices. You've got a defense that's almost there. Uh, Joe Thomas, who looks like he's coming back, and look, he's showing up at practices. He's sitting down with Miles Garrett. You know, a lot of people, oh, Cleveland really needs a left tackle. You know, they, they got to emphasize the left tackle of the future. I mean, from you, the little I see of Joe Thomas and his body language and showing up and sitting down with Miles Garrett, I think Joe Thomas is, you know, he's going to be around until he just, his body tells him, look, it's time to go. And the best thing is, is it's not a leg issue. It's not a back issue. It was a bicep issue. You know, obviously at his age, he couldn't, you know, 
slow him down some as the years go on. I'm not sure he's in any hurry to run away from this, but uh, we're going to keep going on. And also, um, you know, what I do, what I did like about Sunday, and as bad as Deshaun's gaff was, is that drive after the half. And I mean, those guys—they ran their tails off, and the drive looked crisp. And then even when he went down, it almost looked like his teammates, you know, like they're realizing, like, look, we don't know what's going on. But it seemed like they were kind of buying in on him a little bit because they, I mean, those guys looked a little downtrodden when he went down. I don't even know if it's so. I, I don't. I, I've I've talked to people. I I think a lot. There's a lot of. There's a growing community of Browns players that really think Hugh Jackson doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and and I don't oh, okay. know if it's necessarily uh, buying into Greg Williams. Honest, it, it may be. Honestly, I think there's a big part of this where the players in the locker room are buying into each other okay. and basically saying, and, and, and I'm sure I, I don't, I'm not going to dispute your theory that, that they sort of bought into Kaiser a little bit, but I genuinely believe watching this. And I think that first drive out of the half was a good indication of this. They believe in each other. And there's a lot of sort of this bond where they're basically saying to themselves in some part, they're not going to fix this. We have to fix this. And we were just going to go out. And, and I felt like they all came out. And, and it just reminded me of Varsity Blues. Like they, <laughs> like they locked Bud Kilmer in the locker room. And they basically said, screw it. We're going to do this ourselves. And there was just this energy they had about him. And I think that's – I think Kaiser's a, a microcosm of that. But I honestly believe it's the, the entirety of the locker room and being so young and having so many of these guys and the record and all the criticism and all these people who think they're, they're all bad or, or whatever it is – that I think it's becoming very much a unifying force to those guys, and they genuinely want to do this for the the guy next to them. I think there's a real element to that. There are certainly mistakes made, but you also see nobody quits. Nobody lays down ever. And there are plays where I see clips and I see certain things. Yeah, I get it. But in general, like anytime I see somebody saying they're not playing hard, I'm I'm just, I'm at a loss because especially with that defensive group, they leave it all out there. There's nothing left when the game's over. They don't play like an Owen, what what is now an Owen nine team. If they just play really hard and just keep coming out on the short end. No, that I agree with. And and that's the thing in, you know, because thankfully they bring this to your Twitter account. They don't bring it to mine. But I mean, a lot of these fans, guys. I don't know what you. I, I don't know what you think you're seeing. I mean, look, you're you. Yes, obviously a head 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 coach upgrade, one hundred percent. There is no way I am keeping Hugh around this. I am going to trust this front office after a defense has been built, after an offensive line for the most part, and even you know Spencer Drago. Look, he's kind of held his own. So I mean, people may laugh at that pick. I mean, it could be tough Sunday when you're talking offensive lineman number six, number seven, number eight. I mean, yikes when that Jacksonville defense is coming in. But we're going to get now, and this is one that you're steadfast on, and i got to be honest, you're one of the few who is. Uh, You are 110% on, you know what, Josh Gordon, continue the path of proving it to me, and I'll talk to you in 2018. Don't you want to see... You know, because his absence has been so long, don't you want to see if there's even a football player left in that body? No, and and and, and, <laughs> and, and well, no. Here's the thing, and and you know this because you coach. The element of wanting to see him out there is a purely a fan perspective. They're going to know if this kid can play in practice. Uh, 
that's the the idea that we need to see him on the field. That's crap. I mean, it just is. You know, if the kid's going to be able to play, or he's not in practice, and I'm okay with not seeing that. My concern is entirely based on what is best for Josh Gordon, the human being, first. And to me, I believe me, I think Hugh Jackson will throw him out there the second he can because oh, absolutely. Hugh Jackson looks at this purely as, and I've got to do something to save my own, <laughs> save my own skin, or at least try to mitigate some of the damage. But if I'm if if I if I'm looking at this as I want to trade Josh Gordon, I absolutely want to throw him out there and and see what he can do and and hope he plays great. My concern is, let's say Josh Gordon goes out there, he catches five balls, a hundred and something yards, and three touchdowns. What happens after the game? And that's the stuff that sort of scares me. And even now, you've got you know you've got Mary Kay Cabot doing what she does in terms of trying to find you know where the oh. kid is out at night. And, and, and he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I hope, you know, I hope it's all on the up and up. And he was just, you know, having dinner with a friend, Greg Little, not the greatest influence. Yeah. But, you know, I hope. But here's the my, my whole thing about this is I'd like to get him seven months of reps at being sober, seven months of reps at understanding what's going to sort of allow him to be a healthy human being and forget football player it's healthy human being first and father second then let's talk about being a football player and i get it for a lot of people he's a disposable commodity and the browns can even look at him as that because you know so many football teams do but at the same time if you this is a huge opportunity for the browns because if they can get this right they've got him for two more years under contract they can get an entire offseason out of this and by the way not 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 hurting yourselves because he can't go out and obviously win you five games. He's going to give you the opportunity to sort of stay where you want draft wise. But to me, it's all about getting Josh Gordon, the reps necessary to be a sober, productive human before he can be a productive football player. And it's, I, I, and I think as much as it is as proving to the organization and his teammates that he can be reliable, I think it's proving it to himself he can do it because he's admitted he's never done it. Uh, and that's terrifying. That it, We're at the point where he's now at half of his life where he's been essentially some sort of addict. And, you know, and I give him all the credit in the world. He did something he did not have to do. He let it all out. That was, uh, that was impressive. I, like I, you know, there's nothing but credit, and that's part of the reason I've, I, in the past, admittedly, have been very hard on Josh Gordon is because he never acted like an adult, and this is the first time. And I've always said, let's just get rid of him, and move on, because he he wouldn't sort of really attack the problem, and now he looks like he's finally doing it. I don't know if he, you know, he had a slip up. I fully expect that will happen. I promise you, it's going to happen. But that's part of the reason I want to hold him out. Believe me, I get the excitement. I get it. But Josh Gordon in 2017 doesn't mean anything to me. Josh Gordon in 2018, Josh Gordon in 2019, that's where the rubber meets the road and can potentially be a great situation and a found money scenario for the Browns in this front office uh, that they can sort of take everything they've already done and now add what could potentially be a superstar type talent to it. But they've got to treat this as a – and to me, they've got to treat this in a life, life and death situation because to me that's where this is at. Okay. All right. You brought it. You brought the fair points. Um, you are huge on Baker Mayfield. Um, I, I 100% agree with you. The on-field play, everything. Um, but give me, you know, a couple of thoughts here on Baker. And but 
do you have zero concerns on the size and anything of that nature? No, I, look, if 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 the worst thing we can say about Baker Mayfield is he's six foot and three quarters, you know, sign me up. Uh, he he has now not only just beaten, he has absolutely torn apart three top ten teams. And the most impressive game he's had this year was this past week against TCU. And if you actually look at the tape of that and some of the throws he's making, how tight those windows are, or like obviously the, the most famous one is that clip to Mark Andrews where he basically throws it to where nobody on the planet but Mark Andrews can go get it. Those are NFL throws. Um, his poise is outstanding. And the thing that makes it very easy, I think, when people actually dig down deep in him for a Cleveland's perspective, he's a two-time walk-on. He has that want to – he has that desire to be great. It's we, so many times they've gotten the guy that you know Johnny Manziel is the perfect example. Uh, people like to compare it to him, but in terms of upbringing, Johnny Manziel was sort of a superstar the no. whole way. Silver spoon, silver spoon. Baker Mayfield has had to earn it every step of the way. Lost his job. It was had his job handed to Davis freaking Webb before <laughs> he decided to transfer to Oklahoma earned it there as a walk-on and may has a chance if they win a national championship this year and a Heisman Trophy to be the greatest quarterback a program like Oklahoma has ever had with the likes of Troy Aikman, with the likes of uh, with, with the likes of Sam Bradford, that that type of wants to be great is so important to the quarterback position because so much of this is wants the want to. It's why I love Carson Wentz when he came out. It's why I like Derek Carr when they came out, partly because they, two things. They were adults. They had figured out this is what they wanted to do. They'd sort of gotten past all the, you know, being, you know, sort of a knucklehead in college. Derek Carr was a partier before he met his wife and had his child. I don't know if Carson Wentz ever had that. Baker Mayfield still got a little bit of a reputation of being a partier. Certainly you have to vet that. He's got the video of the arrest, which is, you know, a knucklehead thing to do. You've got to look into that. But to me, he has shown he wants to be an adult. He wants to be great at football. And that's so much a part of this. And then you go to the part that he's got an outstanding arm. He's got tremendous accuracy. He's throwing behind, you know, one of the tallest offensive lines in college football. People are worried about he's not going to be able to see in the NFL. Uh, I, I think his offensive line in Cleveland is actually shorter. The other thing I like about Baker Mayfield and, and the comparison is often made to Drew Brees is part of the reason Drew Brees is so effective is because of the offensive line set up in New Orleans. They have all of their offensive line strength in the middle of their line, their guards and their center. There is no situation he's going to walk into that's going to be better than having Joel Petonio, J.C. Treader, and Kevin Zeitler up in the middle that's going to help keep his feet clean, that's going to make it so he can see the field better I think he's – look, You, he comes in if they get him. He has to compete for the job, obviously, but I think he's going to take it. It's going to be very quick, and he's just going to be able to walk in and become the starter. But there's just – I'm waiting for a reason not to like not, not to like Baker Mayfield, to doubt this kid. I really hope he goes to the Senior Bowl. He may get to play TCU again, which would be a fascinating matchup. The TCU would be able to sort of look at what they did the past week and scheme up uh, and see if they can't fix it. But he's just been so good. I mean, you just can't doubt what this guy's doing. He's, you know, I can't name his receivers. I know Mark Andrews. I know he's throwing to a freshman and sophomore kid receiver. And maybe they're going to be future NFL uh, players that are great. But right now, they're just a freshman and sophomore that just seem like they do stuff because Baker Mayfield sort of allows it. To me, I think Baker Mayfield would walk into Cleveland, see David and Joku. 
see Duke Johnson and be like, I'm in love with this. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, I can't lie, Pete. You, you brought that really well. Um, all right. We're going to go. I just want to give you a little quick hit and run on these other guys. Um, now, obviously, Mason Rudolph, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, hit. Um, a little here. Uh, these guys, every one of them a no for you? Lamar Jackson, to me, I, I, uh, I think he's two to three years away. And, and honestly, he might be Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Bucks, that type of talent. Okay. Uh, where in two to three years, he could take over the league. If somebody wants to take the time and really work with him, I think he can be an absolute star. The problem for the Browns, A, is what coach are you going to give him to because that's critical. For example, if, if you're saying, and I don't think this is going to happen, but let's say you've still got Hugh Jackson. You said, let's give. are we going to give Lamar Jackson to Hugh Jackson? Absolutely the hell not. I think that's a critical piece of the puzzle. You have to know what coach you're giving this kid to. I don't think he should play as a, as a, as a uh, rookie. I'm sure somebody will probably try to do it, whether it's package nonsense. I think you could run into an RG3 type situation with that. But if you take the time, you do this right, I think it could be an absolute star. But the Browns can't wait that long. They've already, like, if they were going to take Lamar Jackson, they would have had to take him two years ago uh, and sort of be ready to get him out there now. I don't think, I think, I think not only has the owner sort of set it down, and, and I think it was reasonable when Jimmy Haslam said, look, man, I know what's coming with 2016, 2017. 2018 is when we want to compete, and that's an absolutely a reasonable deadline to me. I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to give that to you right now. Uh, Mason Rudolph, I think he's far more product of the system. I think he's, I think he's got an incredible arm, but when I watch him, I see Brandon Whedon all over again. Now, it's important to keep in mind that if Brandon Whedon was the same age as Mason Rudolph, he was probably a top 15 pick. And it wouldn't have been a joke the way it was at 22 taking a 28-year-old kid. That was absurd. Uh, (laughs) But I can see why people would like him. I would look at the things I'd be careful about is Oklahoma State offense is awesome i've seen i've I've gone to a presentation done by their offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach it is a really really good offense to help the quarterback give him some easy reads and allow things to sort of work for him uh, josh allen to me he's already on the roster his name's just sean kaiser i think he's gonna Ooh. be i think and, and 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 that's you know i think he can be successful i think deshaun kaiser is honestly a little bit better than josh allen but they're the same type of player. Maybe Josh Allen has an extra mile per hour on the on the on the arm. Maybe he can throw. Maybe he can run. Maybe two tenths of a of a second faster. But he is to me. He's like the carpenter with the nicest, newest set of tools that you wouldn't want to have build your staircase because he doesn't know how to use any of them. Uh, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to have a lot of problems making that transition to the NFL. I think the Jets are going to have their hands full trying to develop him. It's going to be tough. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that's going to be hard. I really like Josh Rosen on tape. I, I think he's absolutely phenomenal in what he's able to do because he's throwing to three guys named Fred at UCLA. He's got no blocking, and still he's the reason they're in any games, and I think that's really impressive. Um, uh, there's talk that he's uncoachable. I think it's probably more of a situation where he's like, and, and for Cleveland fans, they, they'll probably get this maybe a little bit more than you would, is, is that he's sort of like uh, Trevor Bauer 
the Indians pitcher who was always it, – it, it was so hard to find a coach that he respected and listened to because he was so intelligent, and Josh Rosen is the same way. Oh, he is. And if they, he can't find a coach that basically can explain why – if he can't answer the question why, I think Josh Rosen's a guy who tunes out, and I think that's a really easy way to earn the title of uncoachable uh, – and and that becomes the challenge with Rosen is now you've got to now you've got to find a coach that fits with Josh Allen that's going to respond to Josh Allen and and the fear there is if there's ever a point where Josh Allen decides man this guy doesn't know what he's doing that you're going to run into an issue there uh, the talk that he has bad work ethic I don't know a thing about all I see is on the tape he looks like a guy who does the job. Uh, and the other problem that that I'm a little worried about is the injuries, and they're just starting to add up. Um, shoulder surgery is no joke. It certainly doesn't look like it's holding him back, but the medical is going to be big for him. Uh, so, you know, I th- I think Josh Rosen is going to be a nice – he's going to ultimately probably be the second-best quarterback as far as guys who you want to come in and play right now. But there's too too many questions. Certainly, I can see star potential with Josh Rosen. There are times to me where he looks like he just looks like an absolute phenom out there. But I, I certainly understand why anyone would have caution, and and I think and and it's not fair. It's not a way the Browns should operate. But I could easily see him rubbing this fan base the wrong way quickly. Yeah, and and that's the thing with Josh Rosen. I mean, a lot of the stuff with Josh Rosen, it's going to be stuff that's answered behind closed doors, you know, which makes it tough, you know, for you you guys like you, like me, like anybody that, that stuff, it it usually doesn't come to a head or come out until, you know, after the selection is made and those type of things. And that's when other teams start saying, Oh, well, that's why we didn't take him. Yada, yada, yada. Um, But I mean, nobody throws a pretty, I mean, Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen, if you just want to watch pure arm talent and, and look, Josh Allen can do that stuff, but you're not seeing it on tape. Yes. His arm is fantastic. But he's not making these throws that these two guys are. So uh, just, you know, Josh is a guy I'm okay with, Josh Rosen. Uh, I, I got to admit, uh, he, he kind of sold me pretty well on Baker. I can't lie, Pete. But, uh, look, it was a Friday night. Uh, we pounded out almost 40 minutes here. Uh, you are certainly going to be back many times before we even get to April. But, uh, Pete, thanks so much for joining me here this evening, bro. Oh, it's my pleasure. You just wait till you get on the guys' train. Uh, yeah, I, all right. We'll, we'll save that one for next time. Uh, it's it's. I do like him. It's not that I don't like him. It, 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 it's not that at all. I don't know. I just think Susquan's special. You know, maybe I'm getting a little caught up into it. You know, I understand the production isn't there the last few weeks. Maybe I'll waver. Maybe I'll come down. But well, let's put here. here I'll just let, we'll give it a, I'll give you a quick little teaser. I think this is going to turn into Ricky Williams and Edrian James. Ooh. Okay. And and those are both. Hey, both of them were great, absolutely great. But I think that's what this conversation is going to turn into. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, are we talking like Buddhist, like living in the woods, smoking weed, Ricky Williams, or are we talking (laughs) just Ricky on tape? I'm talking Rick. Those two on tape in terms of style. You know, Ricky Williams is look. uh, Mike Ditka may have given up too much for him, but God, if he didn't play. And deliver the way he the way he did, and and obviously Edgerry James is great. Both of them are you know flirting flirting with the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think that's that's what this distance is going to come down to. So it's mostly mostly a question of style rather than substance. Nice. When we get to that next time, Locked On Browns episode one eighteen. Guys, I brought you Pete Smith this week. 
Uh, got some great stuff coming next week. I'm going to drop the episode with Pete first thing in the morning tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to throw out, uh, you know, I have the audio from the, the crossover with the Locked On Jaguars. We'll get you that too. So we'll get you six episodes this week. Thank you all so much for listening. Let's go Browns. Jags game on Sunday.